Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast, where we help you get clarity, build skills, enhance your character, curate your environment, take daily massive action, and develop a positive mindset. Join our community by heading over to workwithtimmydouglas.com and get our free book and list of questions that will help you build an impactful and purposeful life. Enjoy the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Vic Ferrari, who is a retired NYPD officer turned author who has written six books. Vic, how are you doing? Timothy, thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks for coming on. And we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you'd like to do for fun, that'd be great. Sure. Uh, my name is Vic Ferrari. I'm a retired 20-year member of the New York City Police Department. Grew up in the Bronx, lower middle class kid. I always knew what I wanted to do as a little boy watching television and watching the cops race around the neighborhood, chasing the bad guys. So I knew what I wanted to do at an early age. I always tell the story by 10 years old, my friends and I used to sneak into the post office and steal FBI wanted posters off the wall and then go around the neighborhood conducting manhunts. So there'd be some poor guy in a deli trying to get a sandwich, you know, on his lunch hour. Me and my friends would be like trying to size him up with a guy wanted for a bank robbery in Texas. Um, I kept my nose clean. And by 20, I, I took the exam. I went into the police academy at 21. And I had a wonderful 20 year career with the New York City Police Department. I worked in a lot of different units. I worked in plain clothes, like a decoy anti-crime unit. I worked in a DUI unit. I worked in Manhattan North Narcotics Division uh, doing buy and bust operations. And then my last 10 years, I was a detective doing organized crime in the NYPD's auto crime division. So anything with chop shops, stolen vehicles, exporting stolen vehicles out of the country, a lot of mafia cases, um, organized crime. If you ever saw the movie Heat um, with De Niro and Pacino, we kind of did the same thing with organized crews, only we weren't as dressed as well. You know, we were more jeans and sweatshirts. We weren't going around in, you know, $300 Versace suits. And uh, when I retired after 20 years, I moved down to Florida, bored out of my mind. And I've written a series of books, four of which are behind the scenes looking into the New York City Police Department. So you said you had a 20 or 40 year career. Oh, no, 20. I'm not that old. <laughs> so you got there at 20. You were an officer by 21. So you retired by 41. Yeah, I did 20 years in three days. How did you manage to retire by 41? Well, I wasn't married and I didn't have kids and I didn't have a mortgage. So I, I'm like that less than 1%. So on top of that, um, I lived, my aunt owned a building. So I had the basement apartment in her building and I paid rent, but it wasn't like what people pay rent in New York. But I shoveled the snow. I took out the garbage. I fixed things inside the building. So it worked out well. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I never thought about retiring up until about maybe a year, year and a half. And like, you know, I had been in the same place eight or nine years at the time and things change. It just does. And the guys that I worked with were going either retiring or going to other specialized units. We were getting different supervisors in there. And, you know, I, I seen, I saw what happened to people that outlived their usefulness there. And I said, you know, I don't want to be the guy that just hangs around too long. And then like the young guys are laughing at, and I saw that happen before. And I said, you know what? Maybe it's just time to get off this merry-go-round and do something else. And as much as I love the job, which I did, it, it's like loving something that will never love you back. Mm. And it will turn on you. The NYPD tends to feed on its own eventually. And I just didn't want to be that guy. I just said, you know what? I can do something else. And I retired. 
So are you collecting a pension? Do you just live off investments from living so frugally? Like, give us a, because so many people would love to retire by 41. Like, I still got to work. No, no, no. I, I did a lot of things. So after I retired from the NYPD, I moved down to Florida and I got a job at a local police department. I got you. And I was a cop down here for a while. It wasn't for me. Then for a while, I had a business restoring furniture. And I did that for a while. And I was making pretty decent money for that. But then after a while, being locked in a hot garage in Florida, painting and, and refinishing furniture wasn't for me. And then I said, you know what? Let me try this writing thing and see how long I can do this for. And that's what I've been doing for the last six years. But again, I'm not married. I don't have kids. And I, I watch, you know, I watch my money. There we go. There we go. I got you. Okay, I got the clear picture. Now, I thought you were just like retired, time free by forty one. I was like, dude, you gotta, you gotta tell, you gotta tell some people how you did it. <laughs> You're not the first person to ask me that. You know, it's funny. Like my doctor one time was asking me like a hundred questions. Like I thought we had to talk about my my health, yeah. my checkup, and he's like, and I'm like, you're a doctor. Like, listen, yeah. I get that you got malpractice insurance and stuff, but at the end of the day, I mean, you put in a million years for this crap, you know, and it's like, you're making, I know you're making more money than I am. So what are you even asking me about retiring unless they raise the, you know, the, the, the fees at your country club, you know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, cool, man. So we heard a little bit about what you've done. Let's go ahead and dive into the books now. Tell us about the books, and you've written six of them, so give us like a brief synopsis. Well, I'll tell you about the NYPD books. So my, my NYPD books are all a humorous behind-the-scenes look of stories that have happened to me or guys I work with or famous stories in the NYPD. My books don't have a beginning, middle, end per se. There's just chapters in each book with a topic. So in one of my books is a chapter called Crossing Over to the Dark Side. That's about police corruption and how the NYPD handles police corruption, the steps they take, and cops that I knew that went bad, and some of them went to jail, some of them were fired. Um, there's another chapter, another one, book, Practical Jokers. That's what goes on in the locker room, the guys busting each other's balls. Like there was a ball guy in the early 90s and he was a rookie, but he kind of got hired late and he kind of didn't mesh with the younger rookies. And they used to break his balls all the time. And this is when Rogaine first came out. You know, it was like on television. Everybody was trying it out. He made the mistake of leaving a, a Rogaine bottle in his locker. And the other rookies saw it and they took it and they poured the contents out in another container. And then they filled his Rogaine bottle with wood stain. So the guy is applying it to his forehead and his top, and he stained the top of his head. And the guy lost his mind. Like he had to be subdued. He wanted he wanted to shoot the guys that that did that to him. And just the the the, the clowning around and the shit that goes on in a precinct that you would never imagine. When I worked in narcotics one time, was sitting around the office and it was like a big auditorium. The, the narcotics division that I worked in at the time was in an armory, an old armory, and it was like this tremendous room. And I watched these two undercovers walk in with a chicken under their arm. I'm like, what the, what are they doing? And they open up this guy's desk drawer and they put the chicken in the drawer and they close it, and leave it about that much open. And I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, when Sal comes in, I'm going to ask him to grab a phone. When he opens it up, the chicken's going to jump out and scare the crap out of him. What winds up happening is we get the heads up that a chief is coming to our office. That chicken's got to leave. So one of the guys takes the chicken under his arm. He starts running to the roof. And the sergeant goes, where are you going? He goes, I'll just let it fly away. He goes, chickens don't fly, you idiot. And there was not enough time 
to get the chicken out of the office. So they put the chicken in the drawer and you got the chief of organized crime or chief of narcotics and sitting in our office asking questions about things. And we're just waiting for this chicken to jump out of this drawer and everyone's going to get launched. Or we call the NYPD transferred out of there. There's a lot of stories of like things you wouldn't equate that would go on behind the scenes in the New York City Police Department. I gotcha. I gotcha. You got to tell me about the wood stain. How long does that stain the top of your head? He, he, like the skin grow back and die. Oh, oh, I could tell a million stories about this one particular guy, but he took the next day off. And then like, he was never the same after that. It was almost like, um, he was, see, I, I was, I already had a couple of years in, I was watching the rookies torment another rookie. I just kind of had a peripheral view of this. I had nothing, wasn't involved in it, but like, he was an older guy. He got hired like in his 30s and he was a rookie cop with a bunch of 20 year olds. So yeah. he didn't really mesh with them. And he took a couple of days off and he was never the same after that. Like it was almost like a beaten dog. But you go to pet it, it growls at you like, hey, Sal, how you doing? And he'd start cursing. <laughs> it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. So, yeah, he um actually he spent the rest of his career writing tickets. He was uh, he became a summons guy, which usually happens to the antisocial ones. And cops got to write tickets, right? So in the NYPD, they'll tell you or they'll tell them to the news media, like, there's no summons quota. We don't order cops to write tickets. Well, of course they do. You know what I mean? It's like every in my day, you had to write 30 parking tickets, 10 moving violations, and three of which had to be red light because that was the big ticket item. And you could be the greatest cop in the world. You could arrest Osama bin Laden and deliver three babies. If you didn't write those summonses, at the end of the month, you were going to get pulled aside. You were going to get a talking to. And if you kept it up, you get a subpar evaluation. And then you're not going to go anywhere. So most guys just suck it up and write the summonses. They don't like to, but you're pretty much pushed into it. Now, summons guys, that's a whole different animal. So they're a different kind of cat. So any NYPD precinct has anywhere between 100 to 250 cops, right? There's always between two to five summons guys or girls. And their job is they get they either write a book of summonses or two books of summonses. They're by themselves. They're usually in a scooter. They're usually antisocial people, right? They just, they don't, they, they're not the guy or girl you're going to invite for a beer after work. They're the guy or girl that never had a girlfriend in high school, allowed a lot of friends. They're just antisocial people. And they're never going to give anybody a break. You know what I mean? They could pull their mother over and it's like, sorry, mom, the law is the law. So they really weren't liked in a precinct. Like, you know, people think like everybody gets along and this, they don't. And like, they're kind of the pariahs of the station house. I gotcha. I gotcha. Did he ever get like, how long does Woodstain stay in your head though? That's what I'm curious. Oh, I don't know, but he took a couple of days off or a day or two off and it was gone. But like, okay. 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 He, I thought it was like he, weeks he was later. Really, I remember, I can remember it was the beginning of a four to 12 and he lost his mind. And then like the sergeants had to get involved and, I think he got sent home and then he took the next day off and he got it off. I mean, probably turpentine, right? We get it off. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Okay, cool, 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 man. Well, tell us a bit more about your motivation. What really gets you up and keeps you going every day? Money. Um, (laughs) Well, no, no, that's part of it. I mean, listen, you asked me before, I mean, you know, like how how were you able to retire? So you're not going to get rich writing self-published books, but- you can create a steady stream of income and you got to know how to market it correctly. 
And that's why I do five to 10. We were talking off air before I do five to 10 radio interviews and podcast interviews a week, because every time I do one of these shows, I'm exposing myself to a whole new audience. Um, my motivation, it, for now, it's fun. I enjoy it. It challenges me. I get to live vicariously through myself, right? So I get to remember these stories or call up my friends and pick their brains or, you know. So for now, it's fun. When it's not fun, I won't do it anymore. But for right now, it's a nice little cottage industry I created for myself. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Well, tell us about your dreams and goals. What's your vision for your books and your life? Any day above ground is a good day. Um, as long as I have my health, you know, the bills are paid. Um, I'm fine. I really don't need, a, you know what I mean? It's not like I live in a cave, but I, I really don't need much to be happy as far as, again, my health, my friends and, and family, as long as they're doing okay. And I got enough money in my pocket. Um, would I like, would I like to be James Patterson or the Stephen King of true crime books? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I would want the notoriety or, you know, walking out on the red carpet. That's not me. When I got into writing these books, I didn't, I want the money. I didn't necessarily want to be famous, but what I realized is you have to do these interviews if you want to market and promote your books. Yeah. 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 Is, uh, Doing these interviews, you know, five to 10 of them a week, is that the best way to market? Or are there alternative ways that you're also putting it out there? There's a ton of ways to market. So I, I market a lot on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I have accounts for all those things. Pinterest. Um, the, but that can only get you so far. Digital, I mean, this is the way to go as far as doing interviews and, you know, so you know this because you're a podcaster. Some shows carry more weight than others, right? Some shows, you know, I, I've done a couple of shows where I've gotten a tremendous boost with my books. And then other shows, it's just the host thinks it's interesting and they buy a book. So yeah. it, it just depends. But for now, that that's what I'm doing. I'm going to eventually, I'm looking into starting my own podcast where I can bring on retired NYPD members and then plug my books on every episode. So it's it's a learning process. And you know this right like you didn't have all the answers when you first started podcasting it, it's a process i ain't got them now on the tech side, <laughs> and the scheduling side there's a lot of work people don't realize a lot of work into podcasting yeah yeah no for sure for sure i i like the idea of starting your own podcast like specifically i have a decent number of authors on the show and i would say specifically for your niche and what you're writing that podcast would work really well oh cool really? yeah. yeah if you let me know offhand yeah, 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 for sure, for oh, sure. Well, awesome, awesome. Do you have any other dreams or goals that you want to chat about? Well, I'm writing another book. Well, let's well, let's back up. So I took a break from writing about the NYPD last year. I had written at the time four books about the department. And I said, you know, I just, my younger brother, who was a cop, said to me, he goes, you know, the story to write, he says, is about our childhood because growing up in the Bronx in the 70s and 80s was a different time before Facebook and Instagram and social media. There weren't video cameras. Like if I was a kid nowadays, I'd probably be in jail. The crap that we used to pull running around, you know, breaking windows, playing sports. Like just on the phone with my friends the other day, it's like, do you realize like we were playing softball in the street, hitting people's cars and people had aluminum siding, we were denting their houses and you know, my, my father wanted to kill me, like with the stuff that we broke, not on purpose, but just, you know, boys being boys. So my brother goes, you should really write a book about our childhood. So I did. It's called, I'll pull it up. It's called Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate, 
And on the cover, you got a kid in a Catholic high school uniform getting chased out of a confessional. That really happened to me. Wasn't molested or anything, but the priest was an old man. And I confessed one sin too many. And the guy lost his mind. He's like, get out of this church. Get out of this booth. I had to run for my life out of there. And there's actually a chapter in that book called Running for Your Life because we were always getting chased for something. But it's like a time period book about growing up in the Bronx and working in McDonald's and then working in a gas station. And my parents wanted me to go to Catholic high school and we were Catholic, but we didn't even go to mass. So like, I didn't understand where that was coming from, but they wanted me to go and I, I, I hated it. And I dragged my feet and looking back, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I was a wild kid in public school and Catholic school really kind of slowed me down. You know what I mean? As far as the discipline and there's consequences for your action. And back then they had corporal punishment. So, you know, you get your ears boxed a couple of times. You're like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be doing this in class anymore. So I wasn't a bad kid, but I was a wild kid and I needed it. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Okay. So is that the most recent book you wrote? That is the most recent book I wrote. And but surprisingly, because I was scared writing it because you know, my, I know my NYPD books are going to sell because there's so many people in the true crime market that love that stuff. And you got crime shows and stuff. And then I write this book about my childhood that nobody really knows who I am other than a, a, a police true crime author. And I felt like you ever go to a concert and you're and you're watching your favorite group or band and they start playing the new stuff and you're like, I didn't pay for this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The classics, man. You, you know what I mean? Like, well, what is this crap? But you know, my, my younger brother encouraged me to do it, and I'm glad I did. And it has gotten some traction, so I'm grateful for that. There we go. There we go. Well, cool, man. What are the top one to two skills that you need to develop right now to make your dream life come true? I got to figure out how to podcast. And right now, I'm learn, I'm, I'm like trying to figure out what's better, Pod, um, Podbean or Buzzsprout. Then I realized Riverside will do the editing for you. So like right now, before I start spending money on all these things, like I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm trying to figure this out because I'm hoping with the podcast, we'll launch my books in, you know, into another stratosphere in sales. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So figure out how to podcast. And what's the biggest thing holding you back from podcasting right now? Just the platform? Time. Because <laughs> yep. you got to realize I'm writing. I'm marketing, right? Because these podcast, if I'm doing five to 10 interviews a week, that's five or 10 hours a week, right? Then there's the writing process. And then in the meantime, I'm trying to figure out the podcasting. And now what I'm really realizing with the podcasting is you've got to hope your, your, your guest shows up on time. You've got to be prepared. You've got to have questions ready to go. Some guests will be skittish. They want to see questions in advance. So I realize there's a lot of preparation going into on, on the flip side of this as being yeah. a host, as opposed to a guest. Cause as a guest, I know about my books. I know about my stories. It, it's, it's your job to drag that out of me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, cool, man. Figuring out how to podcast and time is the biggest factor as well as a little bit of the just logistics and preparation. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a big learning curve. I gotcha. Well, what are the highest impact daily actions that are going to tick the needle forward towards your dreams and goals right now? What do you mean? Like, like, for example, you want to sell, you want to uh, sell more books, get your books oh, to yeah. another stratosphere. What daily action can you do? So like you're doing podcasts right now. That's a daily action. Maybe 
watching a YouTube video about podcasting, that could be a daily action. So what actions are going to take you to that next level towards being the James Patterson of true crime books or starting that podcast about retired NYPD members? The more exposure, and this is for all authors, right? Because I know your show, there's a lot of authors that watch your show when you have them on and writers. The more this marketing you do, the more you're putting yourself, it's connections. Mm-hmm. And you, if, if someone finds you interesting, so for argument's sake, someone in Hollywood sees one of these interviews and picks up one of my books and says, there's a lot of good stories in this. Let's option this guy's book. Let's let's pay him and we'll option this book for a movie. Maybe the movie gets made, maybe it doesn't, but I just got five or ten thousand dollars because they auctioned my um auction, optioned my book. Or Oprah, somebody from Oprah's show sees me and Oprah wants to put me on her show. She loves my book on Oprah's favorite thing. It's all about making connections in the book world and your exposure. Yep. You know, right now I'm 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 chipping away at trying to get in front of people that read books. The ultimate goal is for me to get in front of somebody that can either get my book made into a movie or some big publishing house turns around and says, you know what, we're going to we want you we're going to start giving you advances to write books mm. to, to yeah. open that door for me. I love it. I love it. More exposure equals more connections equals more money-making opportunities. Absolutely. You can't just write a book or a podcast and put it out there and just hope that people are going to find it. And you, 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 you have to keep, it's like CPR. You just, you're constantly pushing life into your products, hoping to make that one connect one or two connections. Dude, that was the biggest thing for me to realize. I wish I had listened to people when they said, Um, You know, there was a common thing. If you build it, they will come. And it's just not true. (laughs) It it, it may be true for like 1% of people, like something wild happened. You built it. You didn't have to market it. You got amazing word of mouth because your product was flawless from the beginning, whatever it may be, you built it and they came. But more often than not, it's a lot of sweat equity and marketing that goes into it that makes them come. Well, and think so, of, and how long have you been into podcasting? I've like been going long? daily for about a year and a half now. Okay. So right now it's the wild west of podcasting. Yep. Right. So how did I find, did I find you through Podbean? Uh, or Podmatch. Podmatch. Okay. So Podmatch, you go on Podmatch, right? And it lists tons of shows, right? But you've got to find the right fit. See, I don't know how it is to find guests. But I know how it is to find shows. And I send out, they cut me off. Like they give you 10. You can, you can, um, so they list the podcast, right? And I have a cover letter like I sent to you. Hi, my name is Vic Ferrari. You know, I, I include the links to a couple of my books and a couple of interviews I did. So, you know, I'm not dead or, you know, you this is going to be a dud interview, right? I send out 10 of those every morning and they cut me off. And then I got to wait till like late at night where they'll let me send out more cover letters, right? And a lot of times I get rejection letters all the time. Like, thank you. We appreciate your interest, but we don't feel you're a good fit. No, okay, no problem. Move on. But you see how many podcasts there are out there. Like you said, if you build it, you will come. Well, right now, this is the Wild West. Everybody's doing it. Everybody. So you've got to be able to do what the other guy isn't willing to do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You got to get that guest 
You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta look for guests and you gotta really push, you know, and it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost anything to me to send you a cover letter, same as it's not gonna cost you anything to maybe go get yourself a um, IMDB, Internet Movie Database subscription. I don't know what that costs, but what you get with that is you get all the agents to celebrities, start sending them cover letters. Hi, I'm a huge fan. Or, you know, when you were on this show, we'd love to have you on as a guest. Now you start getting these guests. Then all of a sudden people start going, who is this guy? He's getting pretty good guests. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know. Make a connection. I do know. I do know. Well, awesome, man. What character trait do you most need to develop right now to make your dream life come true? At 57 years old, I don't know how much I'm going to change. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I, I, I'd like to think I'm older and wiser than I was at 45, 35, and 25. Um, I Sometimes not having patience is a good thing, and sometimes it can come back to bite you in the ass. Um, I, I wish I would have more patience sometimes with things, but um, but that that comes with age and wisdom. And I, I think I have a lot more patience than I once have, although I'm sure my relatives would tell me otherwise. But um, I, I think it's patience for me. I got you. I got you. Very cool. And if there were one or two people you could meet right now, this could be a specific person or a type of person, and they'd really help you take that next step towards your dreams and goals. Who would they be and how would they do it? Oh man, that that's a good question. You kind of caught me off guard with that. Like someone that could really help me. Yeah. Uh, who would I think in Hollywood that would find me to be interesting? That's a really good probably probably Vince Gilligan from Breaking Bad because he's got a dark sense of humor. I got gotcha. you. Or Clint Eastwood. I was a huge fan and all he does is make, listen, the guy's 93 years old. He makes a movie a year. Maybe if I could get into his ear, we'd go, yeah, this Vic Ferrari is a pretty interesting guy. Maybe I'll make a movie about him. You, you know, so yeah. if I'm getting, maybe Oprah, you know, if she found me interesting. Listen, I don't care. You know, anybody that can open that door. I got I'm you. There. I got you. I got you. There we go. <laughs> Well, now we're going to jump into our thriving three. First question, what's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. Book, movie, or podcast? Uh, movie would be The French Connection. That's why I became a cop. Mm. What's that? What's that about? French Connection is about uh, two New York City police detectives in the 1960s that broke a, an international heroin ring. And it's all filmed in Manhattan in New York City. And I was like seven years old when I saw it. My parents used to take me to PG movies when I was a kid and fell in love. And that's why I wanted to become a cop. I got you. What is the scariest thing that happened to you while you were a cop? I had a couple of times where I was in the fight of my life with somebody that had a gun and we were wrestling over the gun for a couple of seconds. And um, it's one of those things where everything slows down. Your adrenaline, when adrenaline kicks in, it's amazing how quickly you could process information. In addition to watching your life pass before you, you're saying to yourself, I can't lose. Yeah. Like, this isn't a softball game. I'm not in a fist fight. If I lose, this person is going to take this gun and blow my brains out mm -hmm. or hurt me. You know, I'm going to be in a wheelchair. So I can't lose. So you're not afraid of getting hurt. You're not afraid of getting a hernia. You're not afraid of getting in trouble. It's, it's on. 
And, you know, that happened to me once or twice. And it, yeah, I mean, it was like one of those, I can't lose. And luckily for me, I didn't, but yeah, I, that's happened to me a handful of times. And it's just, you know, and my mind, you know, 30 years later, my mind can go right back to it and what was said and the look on the guy's face and the type of gun we were fighting over. And, you know, it just imprinted into your memory. Yeah, no, I gotcha. Oh, that's wild. And just, no fear in this situation because it's life or death, right? You're only thinking about your survival. There's fear. Oh, no, there's fear, but you can't run away. That's it's you're in a box. Yeah. Um, the, the, the only option is to give up and get hurt. Yeah, it's not, a, you know, it's not a fist fight like, all right, you got me, or you know what I mean, or you try to run away when you're a kid or something. You know, I, I've been in fights as a kid, you know, but no, it, it's it, it's more than that. It's um. It's life or death, and I'm, I'm I'm glad it only happened a handful of times. Yeah, yeah it scared the shit out of me, of course. But like in the <laughs> moment, you're like, because you won, you know. Afterward, it's like, yeah. And then afterward, it's like, you ever almost get into a car accident? Yes. Like, you almost went to a stop sign, or some idiot blew a stop sign, and like, you know, if not for that split second, you would have been dead. Uh huh. And then like, it's like that second passes, and you're like. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you kind of catching up with yourself. Like I, that's shit. that's what I feel with fear. Like afterwards, it's like right, right, all that's right. going through me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. That is crazy. Well, I'm glad you made it too, because we wouldn't be having yeah. the show if you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, what is one way you like to take care of yourself? I work out uh, five or six times a week. You know, I run. I lift weights. I also got into cryotherapy. I was watching um, NFL, uh, what's that show? Hard Knocks. And I was watching one time, the players were coming out of this chamber of ice cold air. I go, what the hell is that? And I looked into it. It's called cryotherapy. And I go to a sauna a couple of times a week. And it's a big refrigerated room with a glass door. And as a guy, you go in with a pair of shorts, gloves, a hat that covers your ears and a mask. And you wear earphones. And it's 165 degrees below zero. And I go in there for three and a half minutes. And man, when I tell you, you get such a body high off of that and you get energy from it and aches and pain. Cause I still play, I still play softball and man, I love it. I go a couple of times a week. Wow. I feel like that's like next level cold plunge. Yeah. Like exactly so many, so many people are talking about getting in the ice bath. Why isn't cryotherapy a more probably more expensive than an ice bath and but i love it it's like sometimes i'm not in the mood like there's times i'll drive up there and they've got other stuff you can do like you can get cold treatments on your face or they've got the compression pants or they got red light therapy and there's times like i'll I'll pull up and i'm like i'm not in the friggin' mood today to get iced like yeah it's like a good idea but like it's only three and a half minutes but i i i think it's good for me i got you and so 165 you said you got are you covering your feet with something? You got boots on? Yeah, you wear socks and booties. Yeah, you, you wear like these little rubber boots and your socks, but you're in a pair of shorts, no shirt, gloves, and something to cover your ears and your mouth. I gotcha. Is that to like prevent frostbite? Like those are the areas that get Yeah. Cold oh, on. yeah, yeah. You could get frostbite. Yeah, yeah, on your ears. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Well, what is one action step you can take right now or continue to take if you're already doing it too? Meet either Vince Gilligan, Clint Eastwood, or Oprah. 
What would I do? Yeah. What's an action step you could take right now to go? Oh, I would. Oh, what do you mean, like action step? Like action step? Like I'm gonna call Oprah. I'm gonna send her a gift. <laughs> talk to her daughter. Something. Well, you got to be creative, right? Like email is not gonna work because these people have what's like goalies, right? Yep. Set up around them to kind of personal assistance and stuff. So what I would do is, and I'm really considering thinking this: get a bunch of my books together and come up with an obnoxious business card and just mail them the book with like a card that says, call me when you're serious, Vic Ferrari with my phone number and email address. And they'll get it and they'll open it up and go, who is this? Yeah. Like bust their balls a little bit, you know, cause they get pitched all the time. Mr. Gilligan, I got this greatest story. You got to hear me out. I would go the other route. I would try to be like a bust their balls and send them a book with like an obnoxious card or something. Call me when you're serious. And they're like, what is this crap? Who is this guy? I mean, it's the same. It's the same as doing these interviews. you got to make yourself an interesting character, people to, to find, to take interest in you. And if they do, chances are they'll buy your book or your product. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Even more interesting. You could do that every day for a year. And I bet you'd really get their attention. <laughs> I don't want to get a, a restraining order slapped on me. Like, who is this? You know, like th there's one thing to be intriguing. There's another thing to be a pain in the ass. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to make enemies with these people either. You know that's fair. I mean? That's fair. That's fair. Well, hey, worst case scenario, you make an enemy with their assistant. Not really the person. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's also this book called Giftology. And I actually had this dude on my podcast who says he can get anybody to meet anybody based on a gift giving protocol that he's developed. And the premise of the idea is there's a lot of things that people do to talk to people like Oprah or talk to people like Clint Eastwood, but what they don't do is figure out something that's really close to their heart or close to the heart of somebody that they love and then give them a gift based on that thing that's close to their heart. Cause then they will respond to it emotionally and you will have imprinted on their like, in their life, basically, you have left a meaningful legacy in that moment for them. So that could work. I don't know. Again, it's got to get past the gatekeeper. Right. And it's the same as if your dad was a mailman. And every year someone gives him a letter opener, a tiny mailbox. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you might be the person giving them. You know what I mean? Like, so it's you. That's really why you have to do your research. Exactly. You really have to do your research to differentiate yourself. Like, for example, in the book Giftology, he talks about getting Tony Robbins a gift. And obviously, Tony Robbins gets plenty of gifts. So what gift is going to be meaningful to Tony Robbins? Well, he got him and his family, Tony Robbins and Tony Robbins' family, a set of knives. And all of the knives had like 200 of Tony's most meaningful quotes imprinted on them. And he got him that gift. And then Tony Robbins cried. And now they're friends. It's like, dude, that's I don't epic. know if I want to make Tony Robbins cry. I would have gotten Tony Robbins gloves because if you ever saw Shallow Hal, he's got banana fingers. <laughs> so I'm guessing it's really difficult for Tony Robbins to buy a set of gloves. So I would like buy like extra, extra large, like the isotoners maybe or something to fit on those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if the, that's, that's a lot of money too to it spend is. on stuff. Because I'm sure he didn't, you know, get the knives at Walmart and get them engraved. I'm sure he got like German, you know what I mean? Like it was like some Cutco's top tier engraved yeah. knives, probably like tens of thousands of dollars.
for that one knife set. Yeah, I don't want Tony Robbins' attention that bad. That's fair, but say you got a gift for Oprah and then she endorsed your books, it would be worth much more revenue than tens of yeah, thousands. That's, that's true. That's true. I love it, though. Cool, man. Well, we're going to jump to the final section of our podcast. It's all about limiting beliefs and life and mindset and stuff. So what is one limiting belief that continues to pop up in your life, if any? Limiting belief? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. Um, What do I have with limiting belief? I am not, you know, growing up where I grew up, my parents and being a cop for 20 years, I'm not a trusting person. I'll talk all day long through the screen door, but I, I'm not a trusting person. And I do believe that does limit me sometimes with taking a chance on people because people have to prove themselves to me before I let them in. I'm not a trusting person as much as I come across as, you know, easygoing and everything. I'm really not. Um, I, I wish I would be more trusting. Okay. And you said that comes from you being a cop for 20 years? Throw and you could throw my mother in there too. <laughs> she I was not you. a trusting soul. I gotcha. I gotcha. And do you have any limiting actions that reinforce it to this day? Limiting actions. Yeah. Um, going through it right now. Um, I try to eat healthy. I really do. But I slip. And sometimes that comes back to bite me in the ass. I've had some health issues as far as my stomach is concerned. And I think I can eat something and all is fine. And like it's a kid that keeps burning his hand on the stove. I got to have that one burrito too many sometimes. Uh -huh. And then I'm, I'm regretting it. So, yeah, I mean, as healthy as I try to be, sometimes I fall off the wagon with that. And I'll eat a little bit more of something that I shouldn't. And I, I wish I was more disciplined. I guess would be what you're looking for in, in my eating habits. I gotcha. Do you think that lack of discipline comes from your not being a trusting person or is it another trait? You know, we are who we are after a certain age. You know, it's like you hear like, oh, well, he changed or she changed. I, I think people far and few between change after the age of 40. You are who you are. You, you know what I mean? It's, you know what you like. You certainly know what you don't like. And, you know, there's things that there's things that some of us just can't indulge in because it's not good for us, but we enjoy it anyway. You know, people that have diabetes, some of them ate their way into diabetes because they like sugary snacks and they like the sugar high from it. And now they've got diabetes, unfortunately. And you know, now they're checking their insulin. And I, I hate to like bring a dead dog into the room with this, but I, I just think it's, I, I just think we are who we are a, a, after a certain time. We do the best to manage ourselves from things that aren't good for us. Do you think that's a limiting belief? That after 40, we are who we are? Yeah, I do think that's a limiting <laughs> belief. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> If you didn't have that belief, I feel like I'm in a psychiatrist's office. But yeah, it is it is the limiting belief. Like I just I go on for ten minutes about this, and you go, to, do you believe that to be a limiting belief? And I'm like, well, he's got me there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> do you think if you didn't have that belief, your life would change in any meaningful way, or do you think it'd by and large be the same? I think it'd be the same, but I guess that's a limiting belief. Could be. 
<laughs> could be, could be. Well, what is one way you could trust somebody more in your life right now in a way you wouldn't typically that may benefit you? I guess that would be listen more. And, you know, it's give them more opportunity to prove themselves as, instead of writing them off as quickly as I might. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I'm guessing that has a lot to do, again, with my upbringing and, and where I worked for 20 years, because you really don't have a lot of time in police work to make decisions. Because when you're a cop and you're on the road and you're answering 30 calls a night in a busy precinct, you only, you only have so much time with people at a dispute or something, you, you, you can't. The radio is backing up, there's more serious calls coming. So you only have a certain amount of time to get to the truth of something. You know, I always say there's three sides to every story. What he said, what she said, and what really happened. And you only got a limited amount of time to mediate a dispute or an argument or is someone going to jail? Are you referring somebody to court? Are you telling them this is a civil matter? I can't do anything about this. So, now that I do have more time, I think I should listen more. Hmm. There we go. There we go. And if you were to change your limiting belief, not a trusting person, um, into an abundant phrase that really spoke to your heart in the way that you needed to hear it, what would that phrase be? Give him a chance. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. Last question for you. What's your favorite belief about yourself? My favorite belief. Yep. Favorite belief about yourself. My favorite belief about myself is I had great sacrifices for my brother and I and did a really good job raising us and put us first. Mm. I gotcha. I gotcha. So made great sacrifices for your brother and yourself and put you guys first. Absolutely. Made a lot of sacrifices for the two of us. I love it. Well, Vic, that's all we got for you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. I tell appreciate us more, it. Tell us more about your books and where to find them. Sure. So for your listeners, if you just go on Amazon, go to the book section, type in my name, Vic, Ferrari like the car. My Amazon book page will come up and all my books have colorful uh, book covers like the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime and Chaos or Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate or Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division. That's about everything you want to know about the stolen car industry. We're afraid to ask. All my books are $10 paperback or $2.99 ebook download. And if you want to get a hold of me on Twitter or Instagram, you got a question or you want to book me on your podcast, feel free to reach out at, at VicFerrari50. There we go. There we go. Well, if you guys are listening to this and you loved what Vic had to say, make sure to check him out, buy a book, leave a rating, then buy another book and send it to a friend and have them leave a rating too. Thank you guys so much for watching. All the links to find Vic will be down in the show notes. We will see you guys on the next one. And on that note, we're out. Hey there, thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a review and send it to a friend. Don't forget, head over to workwithtimmydouglas.com to get your list of life-changing questions and our free book, Impact Ignition, Live a Purposeful Life. See you tomorrow for another show.